You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Welcome, everyone. This is another episode of Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I am your host, Doug Thorpe. I want to be sure the microphone's in line here, but uh, welcome to the show. Today, I've got a guest who's going to help us understand something about leadership communication. Communication is an interesting topic that I often run into when I'm working with leaders and business owners of all sizes. People are interested in how they can become better communicators to help build the clarity and and messaging that they want for their companies or their teams. So today, my guest is going to help us understand some of those dynamics, and we're going to dig into quite a bit of detail on that. Her name is Terry Short. Terry, welcome to the show. Thanks, Doug. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Pleasure to have you. Um, Terry, give us a little bit of background. How has your journey gotten you to where you are on the uh, topics you share with folks today? Absolutely, Doug. Tell you, I think of it more of a jungle gym approach than <laughs> climbing any kind of ladder, right? <laughs> so okay. you're there and everywhere. So I actually, early on, I had a career in hospitality. I've, I've been a leader in some sort of leadership role since I was 17, and I led the the snack shack at the country club type of thing, right? Anyway, end up in hospitality um, in Four Seasons Hotels. I do lots of different roles, and I became very sensitive to how people spoke to each other, you know, how the employees spoke to each other and how they spoke to the guests and just the word choices that sometimes weren't appropriate. Anyway, then um, I had my own business for 15 years, 95 to 2010, and I do again since 2020. But in between there, 2010 to 2020, I had a career in um, healthcare. Mm -hmm. So I jumped into healthcare, which, you know, has there's some commonality with hospitality, or let me say there should be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 And um, ended up in some corporate roles and again, found myself, I was doing a lot of executive coaching. I found myself being incredibly sensitive to word choices. And, And sometimes it was word choices people use for themselves. And so I wrote a book about it, wrote a book and called The Words We Choose, Your Guide to How and Why Words Matter. (laughs) Very interesting. You know, as I said, communication is such a hot topic. And oftentimes the starting point that I share with clients is the fact that there's a phrase that says, a confused mind says no. Right. And if you're leading a team and your people don't understand where you want to go or what might be expected of them, or more importantly, what a real win might look like, you as a leader need to create that clarity for them. And obviously the words we choose go so far to help build that clarity so, Terry, is there a just an overarching theme of a framework here on how you attack this question of the words we choose? Well, I got asked that so much, Doug, that I made a little sentence about it. So oh, I'm cool. going to encourage okay. your listeners to grab a pen or a pencil and write down the sentence, and then I'll work through the words. So it's my way to help people remember, right? Now, that said, you cannot change all of the words that you might be gravitating towards all at once. So you'll choose. But anyway, the sentence is, I will 
when I want and I get that I can. <clears throat> so then you, after you write that down, I will when I want and I get that I can. And you cross out all of the I's, there are four I's, as well as the word that. <clears throat> then you're left with will, when, what, and, get, and can. And Doug, those are the replacement words. Those are the ones that you would consider choosing if you're using some of the words that are more minimizing and less clear. I love that you brought up clarity because that's key, right? <clears throat> so so say those keywords again. Right. And I'll dive into what they replace. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> we'll take care right. of that in the edit. Don't worry about it. <laughs> All right. So will, when, want, and, get, and can. And so shall I go through and say what they replace? Sure, please. All right, so when I th think about your clarity, this is what comes to mind for me. So often I hear leaders, you know, I do leadership coaching um, now, and I hear leaders say, well, we probably will meet our goals in the fourth quarter, or we might be able to um, hire some more people towards the end of the year. Well, that's not very clear. <laughs> it's what goes through my head. So <clears throat> thinking about words such as probably and might, any any types of words that are, are uncertain, they offer a lack of certainty. And replacing that with, well, and, and sometimes people say to me, well, Terry, I don't actually know that we will meet our goals by the end of the year or in the fourth quarter. Fine, that's that's acceptable. Then make a percentage. I'm 75% certain or I'm 90% certain or we will um, when we do X. So that so there's some sort of um, uh, caveat to it, but not that you're saying maybe sort of kind of probably, <laughs> right? So the next one is when. And Doug, I don't know if you noticed it, but in 2020 during COVID and even into 2021, did you notice more people using the word if, mm -hmm. if we get back to the office, if we ever see our loved ones? Oh, yeah, right. definitely. Yeah. And it, so we, 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 I get it. We became uncertain for good reason. But particularly when you're speaking to uh, your colleagues or your direct reports, the more you insert if, the more uncertain you seem. So the replacement word is when when we return to the office, you know, when we travel again, much more hopeful, much more assertive, right? <laughs> I, I can see that. And it, it does become uh, more forward thinking when we're going to do this, when we have this, when we set this up, when we return. Right. And, and, and that does help create that level of certainty that is certainty is the word that is now percolating in my mind for these first okay. two so go on with the yeah. third one well i want to add to the if when i hear a leader say if we meet our q4 goals or if we do set if we bring on that big client i think to myself wait a minute that you're assuming that there's a even a possibility as a small even if it's a small possibility you're inserting that there's a possibility we might not so you know, if we bring on that big client compared to when we bring on that big client, it's, it's again, like you said, forward thinking and much more, um, much more assertive. Uh, the next one is want. So want is the word that I believe, um, as I say in the book, that we should stifle the shoulds 
I just use should, we should. <laughs> so I say, stifle the shoulds. And the way to do that is use the word want. When we say we should do something, um, if I, you know, if you report it to me and I say, you know, we we really should um, take a look at such and such or work work more closely with the X team. Doesn't it seem to you that I'm suggesting that someone else suggests that, that I don't Absolutely, own yeah. it? Right, yeah. right. But and so should offers a, a lack of ownership, really. When you continually say that you should do something, even if you're saying it internally, you're saying that you should because why? Because society says so or someone else says so. So owning it would show up as saying, I want to. I want to do whatever it is, right? You know, it uh, it strikes me as saying should is is a move away from that certainty and clarity again into some more ambiguity. Mm -hmm. So the, the employee that you say that to might be going, well, okay, who should? Are you saying I should or you should or who should? Who is okay. that person? It is That's right. Somebody. Yeah. Not, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Sorry, I, I was just going to say, I, my wife and I have a joke when we talk about we and they and should. And I always <laughs> ask, do you have a frog in your pocket? <laughs> you know, is the frog going to go do it? Who is that? Right. Well, yeah. you bring up another key point to the use of should is that it it can be the breeding grounds for a we they culture, right? Where if I'm the leader and I keep saying we should do something, that implies that that's because someone else, a, a senior leader, someone be above me, um, dictates that we should. And if I'm not owning the message as I am capable of owning it. And when I own it, I say, we are going to do this or we want, our team wants to do this. And I'm speaking about why that is and the benefits and so on and so forth, as opposed to putting the burden on someone else who implies that we should do it. Right. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Um, so the next one is, this one's really kind of uh, bubbles to the top oftentimes, and that's end. So end is an extender. Um, end is the glue that connects one thought to the next thought, whether it's me and my own thoughts, and I'm saying something in a presentation, and then I join it with end and I offer something else, or you're speaking, and at the end of whatever it is that you say, I join it with end, my thoughts on that, as opposed to, drum roll please, but, but. <laughs> that's, right. <laughs> that's right. But, and I also like to say that, however, I actually learned this um, from someone else on a podcast. However, is but in a tuxedo. I like that. <clears throat> right. I I am right there with you and any of my clients who are listening to this know that we've had the discussion. I call it get off your butt. And that's with a single T. Um <laughs> And and to your point, that is exactly when when that conjunction but is used in a statement, especially when you're doing the performance evaluation. Mm -hmm. I love everything you've done in this first quarter. You did X, Y, and Z, but we need to now do da da da. You just erased all of that first part. The right. the key pivot is and. That's correct. You know, and there's something else that we need to think about, and there's something else we should consider. Mm -hmm. And I hear leaders say it in presentations. They'll say um, that I, I would like the opportunity to report on the progress to date with our team, but we have some concerns about um, resources going forward. 
way better to say, that's right. It's just, and it, it severs, it cuts the whole idea in half, right? And it moves the person over to the secondary thought. That's not what you usually intend to do. So um, I'd like to update you on the progress of the, you know, towards this project and such. And we believe there is, is it not possibly, but there is an opportunity to look at, um, you know, additional resources, you know, or, and so you're, you're much more assertive, you're much more confident in what it is that you're relaying, and you're not severing and moving on to, but we have this huge hurdle ahead of us. If you think about it, if you do in fact have an idea that some body of statement needs to be made good, bad, or indifferent. Plus, there is another aspect that has now been revealed. You you don't want to deny what what the good or the positive or the the present thing is. Right. And it's it's so amazing that one little word can have that devastating effect. That's right. So I encourage people to think about it as either the glue or the tape or the weaving of this first idea to the next idea. And, you know, we haven't talked about this yet, but I keep giving you leadership examples. This same holds true. All of this holds true for what I call your personal podcast. That's that internal narrative. And so if I'm saying to myself, I'm capable of taking this next step or taking on this client, but... I really will need to look at such and such. I'm I'm diminishing the thought that I am capable of doing it. So if I say I'm capable and I will have the opportunity to look at such and such, is it's much more confident and much more assuring internally to myself. Right. Spot on. The whole idea of limiting beliefs that we allow ourselves to listen to. The, whether you call it the the movie reel in your head or the audio tape in your brain or whatever, that self-talk can be so devastating and, and limiting in potential and power. Absolutely. So I, I agree with you. It's very important that people catch, watch, and monitor the language that they're using in their own uh, talk and, and we all do it. We right. 100% everybody has some version of that. Yeah. And I, I actually contend that it's better to start there, you know, thinking about changing up some of the words that you're, you've been routinely choosing for your internal narrative before you, and not before, but sort of as you're changing them up externally, you're, that narrative plays 24 seven. Well, sometimes, I mean, hopefully you sleep through a part of it. <laughs> Generally speaking, yeah. it's it's a it's playing much more than you're speaking, and so the opportunity exists for you to get it get it right um, internally. So two more left. <clears throat> the next one is get get replaces get to replaces have to. And Doug, I coach the CEO um, of a health system in Pueblo, Colorado, actually, and um, Mike uh, Mike was phenomenal at this. He single-handedly turned around the morale of his organization by switching up, the, always saying what they have to do or had to do. Maybe it was by way of um, joint commission regulations or any of the governing bodies that, you know, govern healthcare, and that's all good. He changed, routinely changed up to speak about 
what we get to do in order to keep our patients safe. And he, he drew everyone in very graciously into understanding that and tying things to mission, vision, and values, understanding that when we think about it as what we are privileged to do, what we get to do, as opposed to offering a burden by what, what we might say we have to do. Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting idea there and powerful thought. And I, I'm just pondering. So please go ahead. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll ruminate. I'll do the last one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll get to more of that when we get to a little bit more into the leadership aspect. The last one on this list, there are many more words, but the, the list that I offer today is uh, can replacing can't. And, you know, I actually have done the exercise where I hear someone saying can't, can't, can't all. I say, write down that word, take out a post-it, write down that word can't. And you always put the apostrophe and the T and take your scissors. Here's where the, the, the cutting is appropriate and cut off the apostrophe and the T and live in a space where you're much more concerned on a daily basis about what you can do and and being offering that now that again is the internal narrative i'm showing up every day standing firm and confident in what i can do well before i'm entertaining the thought of what i might not be capable of doing right that's a that's where i want a lack of certainty i say might not because I don't fully believe that I will be incapable of doing it, right? <clears throat> the uh, Back to the self-talk idea, I, I think at the root of most self-talk, it, it is negative and it ultimately means can't. You, you can't do that because you're not trained well enough, you're not smart enough, you're not fast enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not tall enough. You, right. it's, it's those negative things that we put in our baggage along the way that create these incredibly limiting uh, notions that really block the potential that might be there otherwise. Right, and part of the trick there might be, I mean, you know, cause you coach people too, to, to bust up those limiting beliefs is thinking about who put that thought in your mind in the first place, right? right? We, we all know stories of the teacher or the parent or the you know, family friend who said to the child, you can't do that. And um, now the opposite is true too. I believe that, you know, the confidence that I have is born out of my father routinely telling me that I could do anything that I put my mind to, anything that I wanted to. And, you know, particularly as a woman in a, a man's world um, in my early in my career, it served me well to have his voice telling me, I can, I can, I can, <laughs> right? Um Right. I, I had a very similar experience, uh, reverse gender. You know, I, as many of my listeners know, I was raised the only child of a single mom and she was the influence in my life that said, you can, you can, you can. And when I had my first big challenge in, in middle school, something that had happened that I didn't think was right, that needed a talk with the administration to fix. I came home and I was upset over the incident and I won't go into all the details, but you know, mom and I talked about it and we ended the talk with me saying, so you're going to take me to school and we're going to go have this talk. She goes, Oh no, no, you're going to go have the talk. I'm not going to be there. <laughs> you Good. can do that. That's right. And, I and went, it, yeah. Oh, and okay. it sounds, she was modeling that too, right? She was right. showing you as the single mom. There's an awful lot that I can do. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So yeah, it, it's interesting how those powers. So I guess on that note, 
uh, if I may, let's, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you're not a licensed psychologist of any kind, and no. neither am I, so that's our legal <laughs> disclosure, folks. However, having said that, here, here we go with however, put it in the tuxedo. Um, there's, there's a lot of psychology that goes with these words. So what do you try to help people do to craft the ability to be more willing to change this, this lens with these words? Right. You know, I appreciate you calling that out. And I'm, I'm quick to call that out with my clients as well. Right. Um, <clears throat> so working through first what those limiting beliefs might be and a, and a little bit of if they have a sense of where they might have come from. I So there that's a piece of it. I spend much more time in a forward motion um, situation. So helping them craft the just like I made this into a sentence kind of, helping them craft the affirmative sentences that represent their beliefs, that represent their values, that represent where they're going in life, and then helping them own that. So if somebody says to me, <clears throat> they want to go from you know point A to point B, and we're, we're creating a strategy to get them there, and, and as we're speaking, they're offering some limiting belief or they're choosing words, that's when I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, well, pardon, may I reflect back to you? Um, how you chose to state that and, and offer back that lens <clears throat> that might be more limiting to them. So helping to answer your question, really, first and foremost, helping them look forward towards what they do want, what they do desire, and then routinely and repetitively, persistently speaking in terms of the steps to get there and providing that um, encouragement to them. <clears throat> What I'm reminded of on that idea is, uh, and I know it's a coaching technique, but it's called reframing. It, it, you hear the client say something and it may be chocked full of those limiting beliefs and you you take that time out and you say, can you restate that? Can you think about another way to say everything you just said about your situation and try to put that and, and contextually, we would be talking about the word change that you're advocating here. But um, from a practical standpoint, what we would be having them do is is practice rethinking it right. and ultimately restating it. Absolutely. So I'm glad you brought up reframing. I, I think of myself as the reframing queen. I, ah. I've been reframing for a long time. I really didn't get it until COVID happened and a call a call for resilience was was put out there, right? Just generally speaking, around the world, there was a call for what is resilience? What does it look like? How am I more resilient? And I created a, a reframing framework, if you will, <clears throat> that I can tell you it's very basic. Well, there are questions related to it that are less basic, but the framework is for any anything that you feel um, stuck, that you feel is a negative, that... Um, maybe it's um, something that's gone on at work. Maybe it's something personal that you think of three things. One, what are the positives that could possibly be born out of this negative situation or this um, this change or what have you? What do I stand to learn? So once you think of the positives, that typically leads very naturally into what do I stand to learn from this challenge? And three, based on the positives and what I stand to learn, how will I re respond? 
how I respond, not react, how will I show up based on, and, and there's a series of questions that I ask for the positives and for the learning, and then how I will respond. And in the end, you really can do that for anything. You can tease out and therefore create a different framework for whatever it is you're working through. And therefore, any any obstacle, any big boulder in the path to your success, if you put that boulder through that framework, through that lens, you come up with um, a different path forward. I like it. I like it a lot. Well, I'll tell you what, Terry, I think we're up on time for a break. When we do come back, folks, and please hang with us, we're, we're going to dive into some leadership uh, personas or uh, types yeah. that uh, demonstrate this communication power. And we're going to dive into that right after this message. Thanks. Business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them. Become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness too. And the first step is going to DougThorpe.com. Doug Thorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's Doug, T-H-O-R-P-E.com. Well, hello again, everyone. We're back. This is Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe, and I'm visiting with Terry Short. We've been talking about leadership communication and in this half of the show, we're going to want to dive into some leadership personas that Terry has identified, and she's going to share with us uh, different uh, descriptions of this. And I'm guessing if you listen carefully, you'll probably find yourself in one of these categories. So, Terry, take it away. Absolutely. And, you know, I want to first draw attention to the, the title of this podcast, um, Driven by Common Sense. All that I share, really, the word choices and what I'm going to talk about with the the six personas, it from my perspective, I mean, sometimes pe people listen, they think, wow, that's common sense. It is. And, and for your podcast, sometimes it's a straight up reminder. It's a straight up reminder that this is common sense and you have these answers yourself. You have these capabilities yourself. Yep. So the six personas, I call them, Doug, the six personas of a thriving leader. The thriving leader uh, is operating on all cylinders with, with, all, with all of them, you know, um, hopefully with all of them. But does that happen all the time? It doesn't. You can see as I go through them how you, you might wax and wane through them. So the first is the ambassador of the culture. I can't stress that enough, and that's why it's the first one, because a leader stepping into the role of an ambassador of the culture and living and personifying the values of the organization, holding on to the mission of the organization at all times, and therefore um, not just leading by example and representing that, but holding other, others accountable as well. Like a true ambassador is sees to it that everyone upholds the values of the organization and that's what creates the culture mm -hmm. okay yeah, so that's the first one important. yes and it leads right to the leader as coach i get it you know in my and you i know you see this too in my um coaching um with my coaching i see leaders that let's just say maybe they did it something. They were an individual contributor on some level and they did that really well. And the next thing you know, they're a leader. 
And that's great. You know, they had a confidence that elevated them into that role. What I see all the time that's oftentimes lacking is the ability to coach others, to step in and to to have what um, I now call alleged difficult conversations. Um, And I say that because what makes them difficult in the first place? Oftentimes it's the individual who's the new leader not feeling confident in what it is that the the information that they would like to share. And so the determining the, let's call it the degree of difficulty (laughs) for what we refer refer to as a difficult conversation. So really having some uh, standardized ways in which you coach those that directly report to you. And underneath that comes in having effective one-on-one meetings and having effective team meetings and really lots of um, components of stepping into the role of leader as coach. Yeah, <clears throat> very important one. And and I do a lot of work with clients as well in making that transition from individual contributor to first-time <clears throat> supervisor, manager, and then the evolution of their career after that. And there, there are a whole lot of other dynamics that go with that that we probably don't have time to get into here, but I, I, I agree with you totally. Inevitably, at the core of all that is that inability to be the coach, mentor to the people around you on your team who need to learn from your experience and expertise, the one that got you promoted to, um, to model that. Mm -hmm. And I think I've always thought that when we think about word choices, the key thing there is to ask more and tell less. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. And uh, I, I use a phrase often with leaders when they will describe an exchange with an employee I'll ask them the question, are you leading or are you solving problems? <laughs> and they'll go, what does that mean? And I'll say, well, what do you think it means? <laughs> but it, in the leading part, it would be the ask the person more questions. You know, okay, I hear you. This sounds like a problem. Have you considered this? Have mm-hmm. you? Who have you talked to? Who else have you considered Mm-hmm. What other choices have you made or thought about? And there's a whole cascade of questions that ultimately make up a decision tree in your mind of how you get to the solution. Yeah. And teaching that to people and teaching how that waterfall works for their particular uh, area of expertise or focus is what being that coach leader is ultimately about. Yeah, I totally agree. And that segues nicely into the next one, which is being the continual change agent. Oh, I like it. I don't know an industry that at this point, at at the speed at which information transfer happens and growth happens, that they can't afford to, to accept that change is continual. And so being that continual change agent is the person who who normalizes change, who says, we're going to lean on being a learning organization with a a growth mindset. We're going to be problem solvers. We're going to use those skills all day, every day, because we accept that change is continuous and that, you know, that there's a disruptive nature in business that is not going away. It's Mm -hmm. not going away. (laughs) Right. Right. 
Okay. So leading, leading with why. So when we get to word choices, that's, you know, um, being able to articulate that this, this pivot, think about it that way, is because we change has gotten such a negative connotation. I like to speak more about pivot. We're going to pivot now, right? And we having exercising that cognitive agility to say, you know, this is what's working well. And we're going to pivot for these reasons and being able to share at all times the why behind the change. And to your point, encouraging others to come up with that why. And when we do that and we're asking more and telling less, I encourage leaders to use questions that start with what or how. What will be different? What will be better? You know, how will the team be better served with this pivot? You know, so on and so forth. So that's the third one. Okay. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah. The next one is being a life integrator. So that's the leader who owns their ability. They don't feel a victim of their work life and their calendar or lack of calendaring. They own their ability to to integrate work, play, family, community, you know, all the different parts of their life that are important to them. I'm sure as a coach, you've done the um, tree of life or the, I'm sorry, the wheel of life, the wheel of life or the exercises where we help individuals tease out what those important components are, where they currently rank themselves and what exactly they'll do in order to to create more more balance in that wheel, the way that the wheel looks. Yeah, this idea of lack of ownership, I, I think, is such a compelling challenge. And especially when I deal with uh, private company owners, founders and entrepreneurs, they get just absolutely buried in the weeds. And when you first engage with them, the inevitable complaint they have is, I don't have enough time. You know, they'll ask me, what am I going to have to do if I hire you as a coach? What kind of work are we going to do? And I'll lay out a program for them and they'll go, I don't have time for all that. And of course, the the answer you want to give them is you don't have you can't afford not to do it. And (laughs) it, um, you know, it it manifests in different ways. But that sort of victim attitude that I don't have enough time. Well, whose fault is that? You own the time in your day. That's right. You're brilliant at segueing into the next one. <laughs> so, well, I also want to add, I was laughing as you said that before I came on this call, I was on LinkedIn um, promoting a, an upcoming masterclass that I'm doing. And I said, you can't afford not to like that because it's a, about being um, proactive with your well-being, which therefore will make you more productive. Simple as that. And yeah. I, my, my response was exactly what you just said. You can't afford not to. Right. Because right. it's not, you know, I'm not going to wave a wand. I'm fresh out of pixie dust. <laughs> you have to show up and have the ownership, right? So well, one, one last thought on that before we move <laughs> on. I have of late, I've abandoned work-life balance out of my vocabulary. I'm mm-hmm. talking to people in terms of either harmony or blend. Mm-hmm. Because if the pandemic's shown us anything, we have learned that we are whole individuals 24-7, how we embrace work is just part of that equation. 
Mm-hmm. And the notion of finding balance implies you're giving something up over here for the sake of something else over there. And right. it's the giving up part that just doesn't happen. The, the, the pandemic has proven to us that give up or give away or alter or juggle is not the answer. Yes, absolutely. I, I hear harmony a lot. What I would add to that and to this, the whole conversation of a sort of abandon, abandoning the um, the perception that one can remain balanced is centering, right? So when I think about centering, if I was going to juggle right now, ends up I can't juggle. <laughs> I tried. I used to be able to occasionally like it. If I was going to juggle, I would, I would, it would require that I was centered, that I wasn't standing on one foot. One might say balance, but that I, I can remain centered. And so that's how we speak about it. Um, and my company is that when we have a sense of well-being, where whether that 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 creates whether we're at home, out in community with our friends, or at work that we know how to be centered and present for that particular event, that's that space, um, you know, that happening, that's really where you get the harmony, right? right. Where I'm right. able to employ practices that create that centering at all times. So that's yeah. what, that leads to what the um, fifth one, which is the proactive and productive juggler. And um, speaking in terms of, of creating practices that, cause the leader to be more proactive as opposed to reactive. And I I speak about this a lot because we we don't choose reactive. Well, I guess we do. We choose reactive and we accept reactive. So we end up in an environment where reactive things are thrown at us all day, every day, and we end up feeling that's the only way. And it isn't. You, you can be more proactive. There are practices to put in place one, one is how effective your one-on-one meetings are with your direct reports. When you get them really fine-tuned and follow a, a framework that serves both the direct report and the leader, then you are becoming more proactive. Things are, um, the, the employee is holding an idea or a thought or something until they get to the one-on-one because they trust in the process and you don't find yourself continually reacting. But there are lots of practices that help a leader go from reactive to proactive and therefore be more productive. They're also calendaring things. I I like that idea. And I I do work with a lot of my clients on that. The the whole idea of uh, being reactive versus the ability to respond. And I, I use the word picture that if you go to the doctor and you're sick, they give you medicine. If you react to it, you got more problems. But if you respond, you're getting well. And same thing I believe is true with leadership. If you can more often than not respond to a situation rather than react, you're Mm going to keep moving the needle. You're going to keep moving forward. And people ask, okay, great. Well, how do I better respond? Well, part of that has to do with some of your sense of being centered. You know, what are you about? What is your team about? What is your mission, value, purpose, And then ultimately, what is your plan for getting there? And the more you stay centered on that foundational sense of purpose, you'll be far more equipped to respond, not react. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's brilliant. It's it. And it it takes practice. It takes Mm -hmm. practice and commitment. It takes a commitment to those proactive behaviors. And, you know, I like to say that 
if if I'm you do the same shirt when when you told me about the person says, well, how much time is this going to take? And what's my commitment? It feels like more as you're building some proactive practices, but you're building them on on top of all this reactiveness, right? That's bumping up against it. It's almost imperceptible when you become so proactive that the reactive things fall apart. For those listening, I'm doing this with my hand, <laughs> like showing going up a hill and and how that how it feels. And it's true. I've had that experience myself. It's a it's a part a matter of trusting the process, um, committing to the proactive um, behaviors. Yeah. Well, the last one is the leader that is emotionally and intuitively intelligent. And so I, I believe that uh, most leaders these days understand the need to be emotionally intelligent and the components therein that they're um, connecting with others well. So that's sort of externally. And then intuitively intelligent is the interconnection. And I maintain that we all have an inner knowing, an inner wisdom, and we oftentimes don't tap it. We don't tap it. We don't listen. So it's all about listening. It's all about listening to um, that inner voice, the positive inner voice, and not the one that's telling you can't do something, but is that sometimes your gut feeling, um, paying much more attention to some, uh, let's say, signs and signals in, the, in, in your environment that are part of your intuitive intelligence. And when you couple the intuitive intelligence with the emotional intelligence, you're, you're moving right towards being a thriving leader in addition to the other five things. But that, that's sort of the icing on the cake is when you um, get yourself to the place where you're centered in what you know internally, your inner wisdom, and it feels good. And you're, you're feeling on top of your game. You're feeling in the zone, as you hear sometimes people say. Yeah. So that's the last piece. I, I I like that idea and that sense of, of being able to listen to that intuitive voice. I actually had a client a, a couple of years ago through a series of exchanges. We we got to the fact that she was struggling with the, uh, it, it was kind of like the cartoonish character of the angel and the devil on your shoulder, you know, the angel yeah. talking and the devil talking. And we we landed on that metaphor as her trigger for being able to show up in moments where she needed that positive approach and, and positive feedback. So after talking about that for a while, when we came back the next session, she was just beaming. She said, guess what? She said, Right after we got finished talking last time, I had a situation that came up and she said, I literally saw the people on my shoulders <laughs> and I heard the voices <laughs> and I picked the one that I knew was the right one to go with. And it was a process. And I said, bingo, you got it. It is a process. And whatever works for you to be able to trigger your own behavior change to say, oops, this is that moment. I can go left. I can go right. What am I going to do? I'm going to choose this one. And it's a, uh, it's a, it's a powerful tool when you can become aware of those triggering opportunities. Absolutely. And so in the end, from my perspective, it all boils down to communication. We're talking about our internal narrative and that communication. We're talking about listening. Listening is a form of communication observing <clears throat> when I sometimes when I talk about <clears throat> your intuition 
that can mean you just walked into a board meeting and the others were there before you and they were talking and then everyone froze and you're reading the room, right? Like intuitively, what do you, what do you, what are you gathering? What sort of information are you gathering from what's going on, right? So it's all about, it's a communication, meaning an exchange of information. And sometimes it's physical. Sometimes you're, you know, you get chills or you get, you know, what have you. So if I may just quickly sum it up and then I'll let you um, pile on. I think it's so important for leaders to understand the significance of these levels of communication. And it often comes down to just those easy little words that can have so much power to change the direction, change the meaning, change the commitment, change the purpose. It's uh, such a a powerful yet simple and, as many would call it, common sense approach to it. It, uh, it, it, My point is it shouldn't be overlooked. If you're listening and you're scratching your head saying, I'm not happy with where my business is going, I'm frustrated with how my team is doing, all of those things, if any of those thoughts are percolating in your head, you might well go back to this basic question, how are you communicating the direction you want to go? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, again, I, I guess my summary is it's when you say communication, think about it internally, you know, first, and what are your beliefs? Are they limiting you or not? And how do you change up the words that you're choosing for your internal dialogue? personal podcast, and then going forward or or externally, um, how you will choose to be much more inspiring and elevating with your words um, with others, whether it's in the workplace in general or your direct reports. I love it. And partway along the way, we made the point, Terry did anyway, that uh, this whole idea applies in your personal life as well. So relationships at home, relationships in your neighborhood, in your community, the way we bring our message uh, often is driven by that internal sense of self and purpose. And therefore, that may be where the work has to start. But having that more actionable, forward thinking communication is really so vitally important. Absolutely. Well, Terry, I want to thank you for doing this. If people want to get a hold of you directly, what's the best way for them to do that? They can email me at Terry, spelled oddly. So it's Terry, T-E-R-R-E, at shortgroup.net. And then Thriving Leader Collaborative. We're on Instagram and um, LinkedIn and thrivingleadercollaborative.com. Any of those ways, we'd, we'd love to join in the conversation about leadership with you. Well, thank you. Uh, We will have all that information in the show notes. Mm -hmm. If you didn't catch it on the fly, um, please uh, take the link that you're using to download. It'll it'll be there for you. And I do want to remind everyone, if you're listening via your favorite audio streaming service, uh, we do have a video of this. You can see all of Terry's hand gestures and diagrams (laughs) that she shared with us uh, over on the YouTube channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. It's Mm -hmm. been a Pleasure having you spend some time with us. And one last time, Terry, thank you very much. Thank you, Doug. Thanks for drawing out my common sense. (laughs) 
And uh, folks, uh, I want to thank you for being a, a part of our episode today and uh, look to uh, see you again real soon. For now, we're going to say goodbye. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.